Introducing The Step by Pop Sugar, a new podcast for and about unstoppable women. I'm stylist Kate Young, and in each episode, I sit down with some of today's most inspiring women. You know the ones we all look at and think, how does she do that? We'll uncover the powerful stories behind the pivotal step that started it all. This episode of The Step by Pop Sugar is presented by Sorel. I'm sitting here chasing this dream of broadcasting, not knowing if I'm going to pay my rent month to month. I was like, you know, I might just take another job. The voice you heard is our first guest, sports broadcaster Roz Gold Unwoode. And we are so excited to be live with Roz here at WeWork Flatiron in New York City. Roz has had a huge couple of years landing a deal with Turner and ESPN after spending three seasons with the Golden State Warriors for NBC. Right around the free throw line on the elbow of it. Give them the rock right there. Let them face up and decide, do I shoot this thing? But that's only part of her story, which began in Queens, New York, with a Nigerian father and a Russian Jewish mother. Took her to Stanford on a basketball scholarship through an ACL injury and stint working in the corporate world at Tesla before making a risk-it-all decision to make it as a sportscaster. Welcome, Roz. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're starting each episode by asking, what does success look like to you at this moment versus your imagined version of success growing up? Not to sound away, I actually feel that I am living the life that I had imagined or dreamed of as a girl. Now, That's amazing. <laughs> thank you. And it's not necessarily like, did I know I wanted to be a sports broadcaster as a little girl? But I more, I was raised hoping for freedom to be able to do things on my own. I imagined being strong. I imagined being someone. I imagined maybe I would see the world. Maybe I, I would travel. Um, I'd be, I imagined maybe being able to like, kind of maybe like something like Sex in the City, like, you know, be at events or go to things or dress nice or things that just seemed like something on a TV show uh, for much of my life until basically after college, I started to experience more, which I'm sure is similar for a lot of a lot of us. But I don't want this to sound weird, but also a lot of what I imagined success as a woman would be was based off of things that I didn't like seeing growing up. Oh, interesting. So like... My mom is my hero and my rock star. And often we look to our mothers as like our first real female role model. And my mother is someone who I admire because over the course of her adult life, she has grown so much. Mm. And at first, though, I saw a woman who maybe was getting dominated in our home or maybe didn't have the voice that she has now or that I, I wish she had or someone who had a hard time. My mom really went through a lot. I saw a lot of things in my house that also helped me think, I don't want that. And right. so that helps inform me now. Yeah, I don't, and that's a weird thing to say because I don't want it to sound like I'm downing my mother or my household. No, I mean, I think what you said was amazing. You're like, I admire her and yeah. I respect her because you, you, that's not always the story. You know, a lot of people are like, I, I don't want to be like my mom. Right. My mom is everything good in my life. I can trace back to the efforts of my mother. My mom, like literally, so in my life, like education was important. Nigerian father. We grew up like, you know, study your book, come in the kitchen, learn to cook. He was very traditional Nigerian man. My mom was more of like a, and both were loving. My mom was more of a free spirit, more. She was a nerdy little quirky. And I say was, she's alive, but she's sick right now. 
I'm fast forwarding you. Right now she's super sick. She's got Alzheimer's and early onset dementia. So she has no idea kind of what's going on. We don't, she can't speak, she can't walk. Um, she was diagnosed at like 50, wow. um, which stinks because she was brilliant. And she was the one that drove me to all those basketball games all over the country or created, we didn't have leagues in my, in mm -hmm. my, where I grew up in Queens. So she like started a little league at Our Lady of the Angelus, which is our little church gym. And um, like literally just the floor like like this, just regular floor, and we taped the lines down with the That's hoops. That's amazing. And she learned MS Paint, and so she had the little stick figures of like a little circle and little stick figures and a girl holding a basketball, and she would say, mothers bring your daughters to OLA. And like it would be like a little mix of little black girls, little Spanish girls, little Indian girls. It was like a really kind of mixed Queensy like Regal Park, Left Rack City for the Queens folk. Yeah. Um, and so... That's what that was. My mom sent my videotapes to Stanford, who later recruited me, and I went to college. Like, she and she never That's played amazing. sports. She was she's super dope. Mm -hmm. She just wanted women to have opportunity. You know, we've been homeless. We've lost our home. We've we've most people's families kind of do an upscale over the course of time. We went from like lower middle class, not poor, to poor. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that had to do with my mom's inability to handle things and. Also kind of her being out there alone with my sister struggling with stuff and me being gone. But thank God the basketball she gave me at the age of four continued to be a vehicle yeah, that put you protected on me. So looking back now, what was a sign that you would end up where you are today? <laughs> um, well, I've always loved to talk. What was your first word? Shoe. That's hilarious. <laughs> like, she was made to do fashion. I, I couldn't help, you know, I usually am sitting in her seat, so I couldn't even help it. I was like, I, I can't come in this blind. I must study who you are, you know? And we're in different worlds. But when I read that about you, I was like, dude, your passion. I didn't, my first word was not ball. <laughs> I think it was like, no. Okay, back to the, the serious questions. Okay. Um, talk about the sequence of events, respectively, that were leading up to the pivotal moment. What was it that propelled you forward and started you on the path to your step? You took a big risk mm -hmm. to get here. Mm -hmm. There was a time when, when your life really pivoted. So mm -hmm. um, I'm curious about where you were emotionally, professionally, mm. that, you were, that you were prepared to take that, that risk, to jump mm -hmm. when it probably- Career wise. Yeah. Absolutely. I know exactly when that moment was. I was at Stanford. I started noticing things were going south at home. You know, aunt, my little sister was struggling with stuff. Then at one point, my mom had taken in a subletter. So basically there was like some strange woman in the room and like some combination of my mom and sister on the couch or something because we needed money. And then at some point I'm talking to my mom and I'd like, I'd ask simple things like, hey mom, you know, pass me that fork and she'd come back with a book. And it wasn't diagnosed, yeah. So it wasn't diagnosed at the time and mostly I was just frustrated. Like what's wrong with her? She was still in Queens uh -huh. and I was in California at Stanford. So I was well taken care of. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I wasn't living at home and things were going to pieces. And it just was a perfect storm. And then eventually, I'm fast forwarding through a lot, but things yeah. got really messy. We actually lost our apartment. And I was on my way out and I knew things were getting weird. And I, I'm getting a call from my cousin. My mom doesn't have a lot of family. My dad made sure we knew our family, like Nigerian culture, like you know where you're from, you go to the events, you know your Nigerian cousins, aunties, uncles, all of that. Mm -hmm. My mom was very isolated which made her easier to kind of mm -hmm. push around. But 
she had one cousin that called me and I was at the school mail office and she had said, I think your mom is living at Dunkin' Donuts. <gasps> and I was like, what? I kind of actually, I kind of had hints. Right. My mom was, <laughs> my mom was always talking about Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> like every time we got on the phone, she had some weird story about someone that she met at Dunkin' Donuts. And my mom is quirky enough where like that didn't ring an alarm for me. Right. I was just like, well, she's at the Dunkin' Donuts a lot. Like she's in a lot of friends. Like, I don't yeah. know. And then it just started to click. Like she's spending the night there. Yeah, so at that point, were you like, I have to go home and fix things? Or you were like, I need to stay here because this is the only way I can fix things? Yeah, that's a good question. That's, that was the dilemma. And then my dad also left during that time. He went back to Nigeria. Um, and he always said he would, but it did feel like terrible timing on his part yeah. when, when people needed him. And certainly there's, there was a question of, should I be doing this? Do I want to be doing this? But also, is it responsible to be doing this? I felt mm -hmm. embarrassed. I felt scared. I felt ashamed. I felt, mm -hmm. I felt silly. And I was like, you know, I might just, you know, take another job. Like, take a, a not a real job, but a non-broadcasting yeah. job. It's really hard, one, to get gigs. And then when you do get it from the door, you're doing a lot of it basically for nothing. Mm -hmm. And then in order to get better, you need reps. It's just, it's hard. So, and a lot of people want to do your job for nothing. So anyway, I kind of, in that moment of frustration, doubled down on it just like one last time. And that certainly was, that was my crossroads. Like things could have, I could have been probably having a lovely career in marketing right now, which mm -hmm. would have been fabulous as well. But right there, I was like, no, I'm talented. You know, I have enough to get through this rent payment. Like, I'll try to find work in New York, and I believe that I belong. And um, I got resourceful. My, my friend, who also was an aspiring broadcaster, we both had a lot of time. We created our own, like, digital show before digital mm -hmm. content was really a thing, even mm -hmm. like that. Like, we created a digital show around women's college basketball. We filmed it with our little camera thing on a, on a tripod in my bedroom, which mm -hmm. had salmon-colored walls, so we called the show The Pink Room, because it was literally <laughs> like my room was pink. And we did this like women's basketball show. And then we, we, we found a blogger who had a, a following and was like, hey, we're doing this show, which can be posted on your site once it's done. And she mm -hmm. was like, oh, free content? Sure. And like, mm -hmm. so she already, so how did I get access to a place that, because I had zero followers. So I collaborated with somebody who had more. Yeah. And then we built a little following. And then once I had a few episodes to show for, then we started networking. So I went, I was played in the Pac-12 conference. Mm -hmm. The conference was about to launch a network. Mm -hmm. So I emailed someone and I'm like, shoot, I'm in the network. I went to Stanford, like, hello. So I like, knock, 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 sent an email mm -hmm. and was like, hey, I'm doing this show. Like, would there be interest? And I sent a few links and they were like, hey, this is cool. Would you do this for all 12 teams every week? We can't pay you. <laughs> but next year the conference is starting and it could help you get a foot in the door. Yeah. And we... Absolutely did. We spent all-nighters. And then we'd drive there for an hour to go tape it, come back. We'd spend all-nighters putting it together every week. Twelve teams is a lot. Yeah. And the very following year, when the, the conference started, I got my first contract. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And that was definitely my crossroads moment where it was like, I can do this job. Now, it wasn't a lot, but it was like, mm -hmm. I have enough. I have a salary. I know I'm going to make this year. The summary of that is to say that was a really rough and yeah. there were a, a lot more questions than answers. Not to mention at like 22, 23, you know, 
barely even knew who I was or what right. I stood for or what I was about. Like, definitely I would say the best years of my life are the ones I'm living and I'm, hope, I'm hoping the ones ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so you're basically at another crossroads right now. Yes. Um, and I'm curious, are there similarities between where you are now, which mm. is moving, starting a new job. Mm-hmm. It's not just basketball, right? No. <laughs> no. Um, you're, you're embarking on this whole nother phase right now. And are there similarities between that crossroads and this one? So much. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Because while that, I point to that as the worst time of my life, it's interesting this podcast comes I actually wasn't even sure if we were going to discuss this on this podcast. I'm not even sure if it's something that, I mean, it is something I'm comfortable discussing, but it's more like the answers are still yet to be lived. Right. You know, at least I can look back on that moment and say, well, when I was struggling at 22, things got a lot better at 24, 25, 26. Right. But right now I'm like, you know, this is another pivot. And you, ex- I think you expect as you get older to not, that things become clearer all the time. And I mm-hmm. would pretty much say, I've had a strong, like, nine years of straight ascension. Not to sound away, but, like... Yeah, no. But, like, step by little step, you know, it went from, like, that little show, the pink room in my room, to, like, that Pac-12 Networks contract, Mm -hmm. to, like, men's women's college basketball, doing the tournament. Then I got the D-League for the NBA, which is their developmental league. It's called the G-League now. And And then I was working with the Santa Cruz... Then I was working with the WNBA. I'd come home to New York mm-hmm. every summer and do the New York Liberty. And that started with digital content. And then I turned into their full-time TV analyst. Yeah. And then from there, that Santa Cruz Warriors G League job, someone didn't come back for the Golden State Warriors. And I got I was I was pitched to the, the network by the Warriors family uh, ownership, like, hey, check out this girl that we have for the G League. And then I stepped into something that was really special. Are any of y'all basketball fans here? Anybody <laughs> rock with the Warriors or Nick Knicks? Or, no. Okay. Do so, I have to put my T-shirt on already? I think you got to put your T-shirt on. I'm so, I love the Warriors. That's my family. But we're, from, we're New York girls and we love, we're Knicks fans, struggling Knicks fans. But, but we're loyal. It's a masochistic hobby. Yeah. <laughs> but I caught the Warriors like right at the start, Steve Kerr's first year. And I mean, timing counts too. I caught all of that meteoric like run of championships and Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. And I was their sideline reporter. I mean, I was on the planes yeah. with them in the hotels, home and away, eating, you know, seeing things I'd never experienced before. I got quite bougie through it. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but then that turned into my first, my doing the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge, like that was, I actually played basketball and we fell for the Nigerian national team and we fell short of the Olympics in London. And I said I was going to get there somehow. I made it there, but as a broadcaster. You know, we haven't talked about the fact that you had a corporate job for a little while there. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that you you left the corporate job, which had to feel safe in order to follow your dream. Yeah. um, Tesla was the company I worked for and they were recruiting right off of Stanford's grad campus. I enjoyed the time at Tesla because it gave me an experience of startup life. I was exposed to all aspects of the company as it grew and I learned a lot, but I, there wasn't a lick of passion in what I was doing. I had a a nice job Mm -hmm. and I was learning and I was grateful Mm -hmm. for it, but every time 
nothing sparked me. I, every time I get to a broadcast right now, especially the games, it feels amazing. I haven't had a day yet where I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, it still feels like game day when I'm playing. I actually really approach it like an athlete still. Every day I feel excited to study, uh, storytell, and be around the game. Kind of like you with fashion? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I, I don't think I could do, you know, I work a lot and I, I travel a lot. And if I didn't really like the clothes, mm-hmm. like the actual basis of my job, um, you know, I get high off of it. I'm mm-hmm. really into it. Like that first day back in January is right before the Golden Globes and I walk into my office and it is like couture and diamonds. Oh. It's like... <sighs> <laughs> you know, like my, I, I have the same women work for me for a long, for years and years. And usually like the day before that I start getting texts like, Ooh, you're going to be happy. <laughs> or like little videos of like, you know, sparkly things. Ooh. I love that stuff. I love it so much, like an unreasonable amount. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to be a deep person, mm. but I really love shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we go to break, I want to know, in this whirlwind pivotal moment, what are five things you do each day to stay sane and stay motivated? hmm <laughs> So for me, I start my day with prayer, usually in the shower, um, because it's like metaphorically also like a cleansing, if you will. And if mm-hmm. you're not a prayer, that's fine. It can be a meditation, it could be a gratitude, a giving of thanks. I start my day in gratitude and prayer. I also am a list maker, which can make some people crazy, but I like a list um, because I, and I like literally have the small, I love a couple small wins. Like, <laughs> like I have This like, is a theme in this podcast. This is girl, like the secret to successful women. Make a list and cross it off. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. make lists? Oh, please. I'm a bullet journaler. I'm like a psychotic. I'm a psychotic list maker. Oh, really? I move them forward. Do you know what bullet journaling is? No, what is I'm that? I'm going to forward you a YouTube video. Your list it's making like, needs a YouTube video? Oh, it's a whole new world of list making. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so I work out. Um, that's some, that's one win. And I think having been an athlete, that is a victory, something that I have earned. I've earned the day after my workout. It's something that no one can take away from me the rest of the day. And you carry that workout with you, like in how you walk, how you feel. And if you're not an exercise person, I strongly suggest, all right, don't work out, stretch. Because Mm -hmm. you have no idea how much, you may not realize how much like the pressures of the world are like physically manifesting itself into your body. And you're like wondering why your shoulder hurts or your back hurts. Like literally a little bit of stretching in water can really help help you out day to day. Um, and then if you're fancy, invest in a massage, you know, like at least once a month to like work those kinks out. Because often, and we're all women here too. Like I feel like women, we're carrying many burdens um, mm-hmm. in, in different ways. Um, So that, and then the next thing for me is a boring one, but it's a real one. I spend time every day preparing and like whatever that means, Mm -hmm. whether that's, I actually have an assignment to prepare for, or it's, I study basketball or I have football. Like I might 
you know, put aside 45 minutes to read stories. Those are things I've focused on. And then the last thing, my friends always tell me, I'm, I'm good at balance. I work really, really hard, but I also have been very good at making time for my village. I invest in it. My greatest wealth is I have great people around me. We'll be back in a minute with more from Roz Gold Unwoody. As I've mentioned, Sorel is our partner for this series. I've always been a huge fan of their strong, supportive, and fashionable footwear. I think each woman in this series can agree that the more supportive your footwear is, the more powerful you feel. Check out their new fall styles at Sorel.com. <laughs> Welcome back to The Step by Pop Sugar. I'm stylist Kate Young, and we're with Roz Gold Unwoodig, the incredible Emmy Award-winning sports reporter and basketball expert and activist. Well, I mean, <laughs> we were talking before, and you were saying that sports often is at the forefront of the political conversation. Absolutely. Social change, political mm-hmm. change. Uh, you know, when you think about segregation, like, it was often, like, a sports team where, like, black I mean, they still teach with... that in schools. Absolutely. That's what they talk about. It's a real thing. I mean, and then now the big conversation is, like, you know, gender pay gap. Like, sure, that's happening at our offices. It's also amplified when we see the Women's World Cup team mm-hmm. winning back-to-back World Cups, and they're still being paid much less than their male counterparts. Or the WNBA, you know, will have a very interesting CBA renegotiation mm-hmm. um, this summer. I'm sure you may have heard on Twitter about flight issues or, re- or a percentage of the revenue, and it gets amplified because you're looking at a group of 25 or 20 soccer players or a group of 120 women's basketball players. Thank God for that platform and stage because perhaps... Jen, her singular story as a paralegal at some firm, and she's getting less than Tom, won't get that kind of coverage or visibility. Right. Right. And so, you know, individual stories sometimes get lost, but sports stories get animated because it comes with a platform. Mm -hmm. It comes with an audience. And often, it comes with size of group. Mm -hmm. So it gets really important in that way. Do you have any advice for young women of color who are trying to break into broadcasting? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the advice that I would give to young women of color trying to break into broadcasting is first, I want to let them know that there's room in this industry for you just as you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that, especially in broadcasting, we're often trying to come in and be taught or mimic something we think we're supposed to be, whether that's reporter voice how we talk, that kind of like formal voice versus speaking more familiar, still professional. There's a really interesting combination. And I get this question a lot from young ladies, um, especially minority young ladies, about like, how can I be myself and be professional? Mm -hmm. And I think it's possible to have a really, have a focus on great language, words, uh, and what you're actually saying while also having a relaxation in your cadence, in your rhythm of speech, in your pauses, in your pace. So it's possible to still hit professional notes while also coming across as warm, friendly, likable. Real. Real. Authentic. Yourself. I was talking to a young lady who asked me for advice about just that. She's from Brooklyn. I'm from Queens. And she had reached out and she was like, hey, love how you like represent for yourself. So she sent me two clips. Mm-hmm. And she was like, can you check out my reel? She sent me one clip, and it was her saying, well, the players are passing the ball, and they are going to work really hard on their offensive spacing, and the ball movement is really important. 
And she hit that T so hard, important. And then she sent me another one where she was like super loose. Like she was like, okay, well, this is how it's going. So he was passing the ball and it was like, and then I was like, first, I absolutely love number two more than I love number one. I love you. What's going to yeah. separate you is not you trying to be, sound like something else. But I think we need to work on what that, what that middle ground is. And then my main advice to her is, because people often look at me and say, you're so yourself. And I think the first thing I need to point out is I don't want young girls to get caught up in, because I often wear, you know, Ankara, colorful pieces. I wear my hair in braids and protective styles, and I change it up all the time. But I don't want to tell a young woman that that's the number one piece of advice. The right. number one piece of advice is be great at the craft. The number one piece of advice is lead with your knowledge. Be so good. Like, I think I kind of sometimes get away, I hate to say get away with, but I can be myself because you can't poke holes in the question or the content I'm coming out with. Um, and I'm giving information that others aren't. And I think when you lead with the knowledge, that will take you longer. And everything else comes secondary. Yes, I like to do my hair. Yes, I like to wear the outfits. But that comes after I've handled my business with the work. And you don't want to get gimmicky with that kind of stuff. Right. Especially in my industry where, all right, it's cool to be, you know, the cute new thing or whatever. But guess what? There's going to be another one right after you. Right. And the longevity is going to be based off of, are you good? Mm -hmm. And so that my number one piece of advice is, be good at the craft. Come with the knowledge. Pay attention to language. Pay attention to the actual information you're giving. Are you mm -hmm. actually saying something? Is it something we couldn't assume? Is it new information? Is it exclusive information? Focus on that. Now, with that being said, yes, what I'm wearing, how I'm saying it, how I'm doing my hair is absolutely a super personal and important piece to me, mm -hmm. especially when I got the job at Turner. It was a national stage. I'm on the big Thursday night national NBA game of the year. And this, the analyst roles, you know, the other guys, they often are just sitting at a table. You see right. their waist up. But the sideline role is a full body role. I'm walking all over the court. It's like a runway. It's your runway, yeah. the basketball court. <laughs> and I'm walking back and forth and I'm doing interviews and I'm standing next to LeBron James and Stephen Curry. And I'm on the court. A lot of times I'm in the middle of the court. Like I'm, it's an incredibly visible position. And it was important to me that that stage be used to represent. So not only, yes, it is also something I'm thoughtful about, but it's also something that is like, this is actually who I am in my home. This is who I am. Like when I wear a braided style on my hair, um, I'm genuinely trying to grow my hair out. Like <laughs> seriously, like it's a protective style. Yeah. Um, and so often on TV, we, we were told we had to wear straight hairstyles, straight weaves, or put it in a slick ponytail, mm -hmm. no curly, no natural, you know, no twists, no braids. And it was important to me to show that, like, our hairstyles can stand there right next to Stephen Curry on the brightest of stages, under the bright lights, on national TV. And it's beautiful, and it's okay, and it's professional. Yeah. And same for the outfits. Like, I dress like myself. Today, I'm a little bit, like, basic with just a single solid blue jumpsuit. But it is a bold blue, right, Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah. I have many moments where I'm like, am I towing the line of, is this too much? Um, what's your favorite moment from a young female fan looking up to you? One moment I'll remember is when I was the Warrior sideline reporter, somebody dressed as me for Halloween. Amazing. And That means you made it. Girl, <laughs> that 
That means the Warriors are really good. <laughs> and it was a great reminder not to be an idiot. To be, right. Seriously, not to be, to be responsible. That you're public and that there is a responsibility. There is a responsibility. For me, I mean, I, I hear of many people, real famous people, you know, that may actually yeah. talk about, like, I don't owe nothing to nobody or I didn't come here to be a role model. I came here to be a musician or whatever. Right. I actually do think, I think that comes from the sports background again. I'm okay with stepping up to the plate to be a leader. I'm okay with the burden that may come with success. I think that's part of it. I think... I mean, I think that's the beauty of sports. That's you having been on a team for years and represented a school and represented a college and represented all the other women you'd been practicing with and wanting to win. Yes. I, I mean, that's the real beauty of doing sport, I think. You know, it teaches you a lot of things that are really useful in business. And oh, life. gosh. I tell everybody, like, all, I think all young girls, and certainly minority girls, but all young girls should play sports. Whether, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you go pro. I mean, some of us will get lucky and get to go or be blessed to go to college for free or on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. But at minimum, you're going to get confidence, life skills. Everything I took, especially from college basketball, I'm still applying to how I handle my life today. It's yeah. really healthy as a woman to win. And when you're on a team, you win. And yeah. when you win, you're like, well done. Yeah. I won. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's, that's a really, men do that all the time. Right. Men don't go, <laughs> when they win something. We, uh, women do. It's part of, just just part of our culture. It's what How being polite is. But in sports, you're not expected to do that. You'd be surprised how much cult things we were taught culturally are so deeply ingrained in us that you can't even break free of them, even on the court. But you're so right. It is important to win. It's important to own that win. Mm-hmm. I think we're hearing that more and more now, like, you know, own your space. Mm-hmm. You know, but that, I definitely think that comes with Asian experience, too. Like, I agree. Yeah. When did you think you were like, you owned it. Like, I'm a badass. This is this I don't. One. Still. No. Aren't you supposed to be the, the, the big celebrity st- stylist Yeah, but things stars? keep changing in my life. It's like, yeah, I'm a big celebrity stylist, but I'm also a mom. And that's changing all the time. And that's complicated. I'm married. That's complicated. I don't see my friends enough because we all have kids. You know, like, winning where? I, I'm often winning in one place and not in another. Mm. And that, that place I'm not winning is tapping in my brain the whole time. Mm. I, I don't think it's possible to sort of hold everything up at the same time. Right. So you can't yeah. win all, at everything at once in your I don't opinion. think so. And I think, you know, I was raised by a feminist. It was like, you can have it all. And I don't really think that's true. I think you can have most of it. You can have some of it or something. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have to pick up the pieces of the other stuff. Like, you can't be a great friend, a great mother, a great lover, and run a business at the same time. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You can every day, you know, do two or three of those things. Yeah. No, I, I you. You know, you. I it's you. just too much. I think that's really honest, and it's really reasonable. It's a hard thing to accept, when, especially, I think, for younger people, too, like when we're being told on social media that everything's a win. That's how we right. post you know, that's the kind of, that's the way we're being, like, taught with likes and affirmations mm-hmm. through the gram or, you know, whatever. But I think that's really honest to say it's okay. Mm. Yes. Okay, you can have your dream dinner party. Five inspiring women 
who are they? I would start with my godmother, Sharon. Um, I think it's important to have someone I know there. And she, when my mom has, my mom has been sick, she's really stepped up as kind of someone who is always looking out in the way a mother would. Another person would be Issa, Issa Ray. I went to college with her, been fangirling over her. Michelle Obama, duh. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, that's royalty. And then her intelligence, her grace, She's, she's a great example for all women. Mm -hmm. um, and she likes sports, so I'm down with her. I think she could be a good, like... And she'll dance. And she could dance, absolutely. She can kind of do it all. So there's a woman, you, I'm not sure if you know her. She's on ESPN. She is, I'm not sure if I'll say her last name right, but Mina Kimes. She is, mm -hmm. I have like a little girl crush on her. She is fabulous. She is um, like super smart. Like, not only can she, like, talk about the game, and she talks football, basketball, anything, she's just, like, quick on her feet and sharp, and, like, you kind of also got to be smart to laugh with her. And then, lastly, of course, would be Beyonce. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> no explanation needed. <laughs> I actually met Beyonce. Did, have you dressed Beyonce? I, um, yeah. Well, okay, so one, my very first <laughs> styling gig on my own when I wasn't an assistant at Vogue, I shot the Vogue... VH1 Fashion Awards what magazine. What year are we talking? I don't know. I guess like 2002, maybe. Okay. What was everything like? How was well, it? Well, at that time, you know, her mom was making all her costumes. Yes. House so, of Darion, I believe. Exactly, but it wasn't House of Darion yet. What was it? It was just, just mom makes the costumes. Okay. <laughs> so, so there was no stylist, and I, I like chatted on the phone with the mom. We talked about what it was going to be, and it was all gold dresses. And like she was like, oh, yeah, we got gold dresses. And then the best part of the story, though, is not any of that. The best part is that when we went to edit the film, every single frame, Beyonce was perfection. Like when you look wow. at a photo shoot, usually it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> great photo. And then like the eyes are closed, odd. Mm -hmm. she, they dance the entire time. And it was like perfection. Like she didn't blink. Her face was perfect. <laughs> She's moving. The dresses are moving. The light's changing. And it was like, wow. <laughs> I'm not surprised amazing. at all. I'm, I'm like goosebumped right now. Do you want to hear my Beyonce? Yes! Okay. It was a few years ago, Jay-Z was on his 444 tour or something, and they stopped through Oakland at Oracle Arena. And I um, had the opportunity through close friends to go backstage, and it was um, discussed, perhaps I could meet Beyonce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so... We come downstairs, and they had turned one of, and it's funny because Oracle Arena, you know, that's my, like, office because I'm doing the Warriors games there. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting how that it was all turned around for them. Yeah. We come in, and we're a very intimate group. Beyonce has allowed it. She knows everybody through something. Nobody would impede on Beyonce. First of mm -hmm. all, I would never do that to the queen. But it was, <laughs> it was absolutely disgust. So we come in. The room is dim. I was surprised. I was like, it's really dark in here. Turns out. Beyonce's feeling under the weather. She's not feeling so great. So when we came in, she's not even watching the concert. She's in the room, laying on the couch in dim lights. And I was like, well, why are we here? And then she gets up and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I wasn't feeling well, but I wanted to make, wasn't feeling great. I just wanted to lay down, but I wanted to make sure to say hello. I've been hearing of you guys. 
So Beyonce, like your story of her being so like perfect in every picture, this was Beyonce, not a lick of makeup on. It's funny because like it's like the whole thing is in slow motion. I remember everything. <laughs> and like she has no makeup on. She is stunning. Like still beautiful, skin great. <laughs> Uh, or, I mean, again, it was dim, but everything. <laughs> I'm saying, but I, ima I imagine that what I saw was pure beauty. She has time for you. Like, she, you know, sometimes you meet your heroes and they mm -hmm. aren't what you thought they would be? Yeah. So she had, like, she, Beyonce had eye contact for you. She was looking, listening, asking follow up questions. Like, I mean, this is normal human interaction, but it's just like a cool moment. Yeah. And, like, not for nothing, like, honestly, we were talking for like, I don't laugh, y'all, but we were talking for like nine minutes. Like, <laughs> no, and that's a long time that's to talk to line. anybody. Can you talk to anybody for nine minutes? I actually, I talk for a living. I was flustered. I, was, no, I wasn't flustered. I kept it together out, out of respect for my friend, but. Okay, so now it's time to play our favorite game here at The Step. It's called Step Forward or Step Back. We pose a rapid fire round of real life dilemmas to our unstoppable women and get your quick take on whether you would step forward into the situation or step back. Okay, okay. cool. Okay, first one. You have started dating someone and after two weeks they ghost you. Do you step forward and reach out to ask why or step back and leave it? I step forward and slap them. No, <laughs> I, no, you gotta let that go. Keep it moving, step back, step backward. You have an idea for your own business, but to fully get it off the ground, you'll need to invest with most of your savings account. Do you step forward and pursue the business or step back? I, I need to put most of my money in to get into the business. Mm -hmm. Step back and try to find a way to find investors. Mm. Yeah. You are asked last minute to cover a live sports event for a sport you don't know much about. Do you step forward and wing it or step back and decline the opportunity? Definitely not step back and decline the opportunity, but I think step forward with preparation and, you know, the work. Google. And Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, coming back to men and women, I feel like men, you know, often take jobs that they may not be qualified for, but women, we're so busy waiting for our permission slip or waiting for, like, when we fully feel prepared. And, like, these moments have passed, you know, so... I definitely, I don't like the word wing it, especially mm -hmm. in my field, you'll probably embarrass yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think step forward and bet on yourself and work hard and prepare. I'm sorry to go back to the ghosting question. Yeah. But clearly that like has hit a chord for me. <laughs> and that was, that was three whole questions ago. But I just kind of feel like his silence is all the answer that I need. Thank you. Go on. <laughs> So I feel like that is very in line with our interview. <laughs> you are in charge. Um, I've loved every minute up here with you. I wanted to end by asking you, our unstoppable woman, what makes you unstoppable? Mm -hmm. This will come from my basketball lessons. I think people often talk about hard work, and I think hard work is a huge component to success and being unstoppable. But I think separators, like things that separate people are different words. And my words that are like core values for me that I took from the court and continue to use today, it starts with discipline. And I actually have a necklace with the word discipline on it. Discipline to do things the right way. That form and technique matter. Um, whether that's how I'm broadcasting or how I'm preparing or the delivery of things. but 
paying attention to the details, getting it right, and figuring out what works and what doesn't. So discipline. The next step is consistency. It's really easy to be good one day a week or two days a week. It is really hard to do it every day, to do it the days you don't feel like it, to do, the, to do it the days that you are frustrated or discouraged. Um, consistency also is a nice alert to others around you that you're serious and that you're dependable. And when you're dependable, you can get more work and you can be counted on, you get more responsibility and you can rise. So consistency is important. And a word I like to use is, or I like to think of, even right now I think of it a lot, is endurance. Even when I was playing or we'd be running on the track to train, I was, or, or we were in practice, I didn't always have to be the fastest out the gate on our conditioning track run, right? Um, or the one who immediately won all the games in like our contest or something. But I knew over the course of a whole game or over the course of a sprint or some kind of run that I could continue to keep this hard pace and I could continue to push it just when you're wearing down and I can outlast you. And that's not only like a physical thing, that's a mental thing. Mm. And mental toughness and durability and endurance, you don't have to be born with it. You can get better at it. It's something that I have trained at. Mm -hmm. Like I have worked with coaches. I have thought about these types of skill sets. So over the course of time, I hope that you guys remember this podcast and like 20 years from now, you're watching the NBA finals or even just working the NBA finals itself or I am the host of the show for the NBA or something like that, yeah. something like that. And you're like, dang, she's still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I am. 20 whole years later, 30 whole years later, I'm still here. I wore all of these people out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Step by Pop Sugar. A huge shout out to our sponsor, Sorel, making powerful footwear for unstoppable people, and to our live audience here at WeWork in New York City. You can find The Step by Pop Sugar at popsugar.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share with friends and tune in next week. Thanks. Yeah, audience! <laughs>